0: Okay, guys, welcome to the bonus podcast. And I'm glad to introduce my regular beloved co host, Karsiaka Izmir, scorer, TBT analyst, basketball mind from Ohio, Eric McCollum. Ladies and gentlemen.
1: <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Always good to make an appearance.
0: And as a guest, I'm glad to introduce uh, my old friend from Lithuanian Times, the Brand new Malacca from Olympiacos oh. Piraeus, Thomas Walkup. Thomas oh, or
2: yeah, calispera Uh yeah, super pumped to be on here. I told you off air when I got your text. I was I was excited to be called up to the big leagues. So it's an <laughs> honor. I'm pumped.
0: <laughs> yeah, you're you're getting over those uh, steps, and I uh, shared a short list of major topics that we are going to discuss on this podcast, but since I have this great combination of offense and defense specialists that would make a great lineup for any team uh, in the EuroLeague, I have to throw this, this thing, I have to spark some fire between you. So let's say there's this big debate and you have this one major argument or one minute to explain everyone. What wins, offense or defense? The ball is yours.
2: Oh, that's a good question. That's a great question. Uh, I think you have to have defense. You have to. You have to have defense. Offense for sure wins you games. The old adage: offense wins you games, defense wins you championships. Um, if you look at all the best teams um, year in and year out, they have good offense, but they all, they have great defense. And it's like, it's just the backbone. It's the consistency. Um, and it's something that everybody can do. If, if you have a, a team that's bought in, everybody can play defense. I think defense is very important. I do. I do. But
1: <laughs> based on the <laughs> salaries that I have seen throughout Europe and the NBA, teams, GMs, presidents, owners, and fans value offense more. And the salaries show me that the highest paid players seem to be scores more so Mm -hmm. than defenders you look in nba you look in europe so i do value defense i know it's needed you need guys to lock up this is why you're so valuable you lock up you play good defense you have a good side you're smart but you got to pair you with a guy who can score the ball and then it makes it beautiful right you got to put the score with the defender i think it's the yin and yang you need each other it's Mm -hmm. like um, a man and a woman you know, you, you can do good by yourself, but you're better when you're together.
2: <laughs> <laughs> my, my first um, realization of that was my first year in Jaguars. So I won the uh, Defensive Player of the Year in LKL. And Charles came up to me and said, congratulations. Nobody pays anything for this. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs>
2: and I was like, man, that, that, thanks, coach, but that that hurts, man. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's stuff. That's stuff. I was inspired. I, I just wanted to throw this question because I I was inspired by great Kevin Durant's. I wouldn't call it Twitter thread, but he had this fun discussion with random basketball fans worldwide when he tried to win basically every argument why offense is over defense in all the basketball conversations. So, so yeah, it was it was a hila- hilarious thing. Uh, Kevin Durant is really worth a follow. Uh but but yeah on a more serious note we have some serious stuff uh, to discuss and basically it's it's just crazy this off season was to explain how crazy this off season i would say that like less than a week ago we had this Kemba Walker uh, transfer bomb then there was Nikola Mirotic uh, refusing to go to Partizan, although he had the commitment to the club. So now we have Juancho Hernandez signing with Panathinaikos, and this whole sequence of three marquee players signing or not signing of some teams, these transfer bombs happening happened likely like in one week, and it's basically every single week something you know ridiculous uh, happens. But let's for sure we'll we we'll, we'll discuss some ridiculous things that happen in Athens, Thomas. But let's start with uh, Nikola uh, Miratis. Uh, the main reason of his refusal to sign the Partisan was that he had threats and he felt unsafe by signing to the Belgrade's club. He didn't Mm -hmm. want to divide the country uh, and he decided to to sign somewhere else. And although Partizan responded that uh, Mirotic even met the president of Serbia. I mean, things that can happen probably only in Serbia. And the Serbian president assured that nobody will touch him or his family, of course, but nonetheless, he didn't want to, you know, divide Serbia and he blew off uh, the deal. What did you take from this whole situation? What was your reaction, guys? Uh, what were you thinking about safety, about the real reasons why, you know, he, he stepped back from this whole situation?
2: Um, first off, it's not a, not a great look for a guy to be getting threats. Um, and This might be an unpopular opinion, but it's this sort of care, it's this sort of commitment, it's this sort of passion that like makes this game special. It makes basketball sc- special. It makes that rivalry special. You know, you can't get that anywhere else. And, and for sure it's, it's wrong. You know, you should never, um, step outside of, of the court. stuff should never be brought outside the court. Um, especially when you're talking about another man's life, his family, all that stuff, but at the, at the same time, it's that sort of passion again, don't take that too far, but that sort of passion that makes these sort of rivalries special. That's why the Greek derby, the the Belgrade Derby are so special because it's like that hatred um, for the for the opposing team and that and that love for your own club that, that make it like that. Yeah, I think um,
1: it depends on the stage of your life that you're in right. so Col Merich is you know older like myself. he has wife, he has kids. And so when you're at that stage, you like peace, you like serenity, you want calmness. Um, You're not so worried about yourself, but we take a lot of road trips. We travel a lot. It doesn't take long for people to start to realize you live in the area once they start seeing where you're shopping, where you're going, where you're routinely being seen. And there are crazies in every place. doesn't matter if you're in Europe, America, Asia, there's crazies everywhere. So that's something that is uneasy for you, you know at games and certain situations. So I understand um, if my wife or, you know, my child or my son or daughter felt any type of threat or I felt uncomfortable with it, uh, I have no problem. I don't care if I said I was coming to a team. My family is number one in my life. Mm-hmm. So I would put them first. I respect the decision he made. When you're younger, you're single. It's just you. I wouldn't care about any of your fans. I'll go play where I want to play. There's nothing you can do about it. And I'd like to see you try something. But it's it's a different aspect when you have a family so like for me i understand that's part of europe it's unfortunate i under i'm okay with you hitting my dms talking a little trash oh you're this you're that whatever might even get racial i don't care but once you start to talk about harming the family or something that's when you turn it into something else so um, i think this is where you have it and serbia denied themselves Um, of an excellent basketball player and something that could have been even more special for the country, you know, even though you're not together, you know, it's just like Finner and Ephes, right? They're not together. But if, you know, somebody can go far in the um, playoffs, you think like, it looks good for the country. Same with Panathinaikos. I don't know there's hatred there, but you know, you would think if somebody has to win and it can't be you, why not your fellow Greek man or your fellow Turkish man Mm -hmm. or your fellow Serbian? So maybe one day they can get to that level, but obviously right now they're not there.
0: This whole situation, especially about threats, uh, was a little bit weird to me because uh, if that was about threats, for me, partisans position was surprising because if there, I think that if there were serious threats, I think that partisan would have reacted way more serious and more supported to the player. And they would have used this platform, you know, to Against their rivals, I mean, they could blame Red Star for for blowing one of the biggest transfers in Serbian basketball history, and could say that, hey guys, you know, this got off the limits. It's not normal anymore. Uh, rivalry is great. You really love this rivalry, but it's just too much. We cannot go that far. Instead, they announced the press release where they're actually behind the lines. And maybe even not behind the lines. Basically, in in their statement, they said that probably the main reason was was different. Uh, and mm. I think I I won't quote them word by word, but it was something like in the upcoming days you're gonna see that it was not not all about that. They put all those examples about the Serbian president and stuff like that. Uh, so that was the only weird thing because at first I thought that I mean this is over. As European basketball, we're losing too much. You know this huge passion thing. Went off the limits. It shouldn't be like like this. And we're losing one of the biggest transfers in, in, in the recent years. And that's sad that, you know, threats, fans uh, who cannot control their emotions, uh, who cannot think rationally, they start blowing, you know, transfers. And just signings. And it's not even Slukas case, it's just Mirotic, you know, and moving to one of the Serbian teams. But at the same time, I really don't want to speculate on this thing because as Eric said, it's it's a very sensitive personal thing. Your or your family's safety shouldn't be questioned. If you don't feel safe, if if in in, in any case, in any scenario, you don't want to check the limits. Of some crazy fans and how far they can go with their threats. If you feel that there's at least a little concern about your, or especially your family's safety, I mean, I completely uh, understand Nikola uh, Mirotic. So I'm, I'm not, I'm not going, going to try to speculate. Just this one aspect, how Partizan reacted, was weird to me, and you know, kind of shifted the the, the focus of the whole uh, situation.
2: Yeah, and and also if. <laughs> If he's going to be dealing that with for the next two years, next three years, it's not fun. Basketball, as as you know, there's many different parts of, of why you would sign somewhere. Uh, sure, it's the money, the city, how you would enjoy life, but that's not fun to be fielding death threats and threats to your family. That that part isn't fun. You don't have a peace of mind. And I'm a huge uh, comfort zone guy. I like being in the same place because I have comfort, um, where I am. So I get the side that, it, that he's coming from. And when I say that this sort of love and passion creates the rivalry, yeah, it's true, but also there's a balance to that.
0: One. Yeah, Th- Thomas, actually, uh, with your first take, you, you, the whole situation, the way you describe this whole situation, it f- feels like it's a blessing in disgust having these passionate uh, fans, which makes European Basketball, you know, unique. At the same time, I just wanted to hear you guys on, did, did do you have any situations where you felt unsafe, uh, basketball-related situation, whether it was, you know, on or off the court? And what kind of protection do you need as a player? Because we see situations in some countries where fans are throwing things on the court, uh, and some you know some crazy shit is being thrown on, on the floor actually, and it can damage. It can hurt really bad. It can have a big impact on the player's health uh, long term. Uh, what kind of protection do you expect? What kind of protection do you need? Maybe even in this military situation, maybe did you expect some reaction from FIBA, from from Elpa, some, you know, more vocal statements from 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 the leagues uh, involved, like ABBA League or, or EuroLeague? Um, I think the
1: best thing you can expect probably is um I mean, do you really want to go through having security outside your house all the time? Do you really want security traveling with your kids to go to school? Like you want some type of normalcy, but You know, if you really wanted to go somewhere, you could have security all the time, a little detail. Um, You know, for me, I think on the court, I usually feel pretty safe. But there were some times I think I was playing in Greece and I was at Pionis and we were playing um, Ares. It was the cup, um, the semifinal. And it was just like the game probably should have been paused, canceled. uh, The fans should have been kicked out. But it was packed. I mean, over capacity, they were spitting, throwing Cock and louis spitting on us throwing coins lighters all types of stuff. like it was to the point where you were getting hit with things like mid play and they had this shield above the bench above our heads but if you looked above it it was just nothing but nasty spit louis on top of everything i mean it was just a bad environment it was dangerous the floor was wet because of the spit i mean it was just it was horrible and that was the first time i was like i feel unsafe like i could tell the referees were scared like every call was like amplified i was like there's There's no way we're going to win this game here. Like, we'd have to be up by 20 to win by like seven or eight. Like, it'd have to be a clear, you have to hit everything. But, like, that was the only time I felt unsafe on the court. Other than that, like, you might go somewhere. I think I had an altercation I told you guys about this year where um, I was at the mall and um, a dude got like a little road rage, angry because, you know, he had to wait a little bit and, you know, he pulled a knife out. So I felt unsafe then. But that's not something that normally happens. But that was a time. And, you know, some things you can't prepare for is just life. Unfortunately, everybody's not stable. Everybody's not built the same way. Everybody doesn't have the same morals or ethics. But um, as far as, like, being a player and making decisions, knowing I'm going into a hostile environment, if I can control that, I probably would um, with a family. Because I'm telling you, when you, you think differently, once you have children, like, your whole mindset shifts. You're no longer picking teams based on yourself, your career. You're also thinking about how your family fits. Do they have the schools for your kids? Is everything going to be comfortable? Like everybody thinks you just pick a team. No, there's so much more that goes beyond the team because there's more to basketball than just the game of basketball. Like we have to live there. And you know, like there's some decisions players make if they can handle it. Good for them. There's some decisions I wouldn't be comfortable making, or I wouldn't make in my career. You know, there's no right or wrong answer. It's just a level of your comfortability.
2: Yeah. um, Man, to your point, uh, it only takes one, one crazy one guy that, you know, mess up, mess up your life, mess up your situation. So, no, it's not something that would ever happen often. But if it does happen and you're in that situation, like that's that's life changing stuff. Um, the only time that I have felt I wouldn't even say unsafe, but probably the the closest to unsafe was this year um, in the finals game Four. we were up big on Pana. Um, the rest called the game, we head into the locker room, you know, stuff's flying down on the court and it wasn't that I felt unsafe until we hear mutters of, Oh, they're trying to get back here. You know, the fans are trying to get through the tunnel. Then it's like, okay, we're trapped back here. There's no, we're in the locker room. There's, there's nothing to do. If they, if they get back here, it's like the fight begins, you know? So luckily it didn't come to that. And I don't even know how, how close it was to even getting to that. Um, but then on the other hand of, uh, the other, the other part of that was how to regulate this stuff. I don't know. You know, I, I don't have the answer to that. I don't know if it's extra security, if that's up to the country, if that's up to the club, if that's up to Euroleague, who, who that's up to. Um, but it never should, should be just total free for all. You know, there should be, there should be, um, at the very least a plan put in place of, hey this is out of control these are the steps that we, these these are the steps that we take
0: yeah I, I think it should be fair to put some rule book or something which would say if there's at least single thing thrown on the court that's it you have to play in the empty seats you have to kick out all the fans because why should they be allowed to throw something at players trying to hurt them or just to even th- disturb the game. So sometimes I'm I'm just surprised what it takes in some leagues to finally to play uh, behind the, you know, closed doors when incidents starts happening even during the uh, warm up. And I remember this situation about Luka Dončić. I don't remember where he played last year, I think. And some fan threw a bottle of water or something. And of course, all the Europeans made fun because they stopped the game. They found the guy who threw this bottle and they said, Oh, they made this whole dram of it. But at the same time, that's probably a rational solution to the situation. Because why should he throw something on the court? What if he hurt somebody? What are we are waiting for. So it's it's a very it's a conversation without having a win-win solution, because at the same time, this whole environment makes European basketball unique but at the same time it's it's not normal it's not fair and how we could find balance although I really believe that we have amazing fan bases even just by making noise by even going to gyms over capacity they already create unique atmosphere hostile crowd I mean chanting all the stuff it's it, this whole thing it doesn't add anything except from discuss especially if you're neutral fan so so yeah it's it's a difficult conversation that we're having, but I'm just surprised that especially in Europe, league, they're not dealing with those kind of issues. But somehow with the domestic leagues, there are no limits. So, hmm. as, and, and this year, a, a lot of important games in the playoffs of domestic leagues finals were disturbed. So we should do something because then, as Eric said, if you're a family man, and if you have a quite equal offer from Japan, it's a you know easy choice. You're going to Japan just to avoid all the stuff that is happening here. And we're already losing a lot of talent with Japan, with Australia, with the G League, with free two, uh, two-way deals, with the NBA salary cap and stuff. We're losing talent already. So, and I know examples why that players specifically going to Japan, let's say, just to play in that kind of environment because they don't want to deal with this shit uh, in Europe. So, yeah, it's tough. Let's back. Uh, let's get back to basketball stuff. And uh, uh, to close, uh, Mirotić topic. From what I heard, it's very likely that he will go to Milan. I know that you know this whole Mirotić saga made us you know exhausted. But whole reporting where he's going to, oh, he's close to Partizan, he's close to this team, Panathinaikos. Now it's Milan. But from what I hear, Monaco's out of uh, out of the race. Panathinaikos claimed they. They're not considered by Mirotic, and they also signed Juancho, Hernan Gomez, and Balciarovsky. Uh, and, and I'm hearing from multiple sources that it should be Milan. Uh, how do you like this fit? What do you think about this fit Milan with Milan having Kyle Heinz, Alex Poitras, Ismael Kamagate, Nicola Meli, and Johannes Voitman, and Giampaolo Ricci, and some other guys who can also play at the front line. And then you put Mirotic on top. <laughs>
2: Um, and luckily for mirror he can play anywhere. He's the, the probably, um, above anywhere else, uh, or above anybody else. You can put him on any team and he'll fit in. But between if, if you need a guy that plays low post, he can play low post. If you need a guy, uh, that can play on the perimeter, he can play there. If you need a, a guy that can pass, he can do that. And he's so versatile. He can play as the five, you know, that, that you can really put him anywhere. Um, does it make sense for him to go to Milan? Probably not for the, for the, on the club side of things, you know, when you already have so many bodies, but that doesn't mean he won't, he won't fit in. Well, <laughs> you know, uh, he, like I said, he can fit in anywhere and he would fit in anywhere.
1: Yeah. I like it. I think, um, too many times this year, their offense lagged. Um, they struggled to manufacture any points, um to get consistent looks, especially when um Shields got hurt. When Shields went down, the Shields went down, it was just um a different team. Like nothing flew, nothing was easy, there was no rhythm to it. Everything was just a struggle. Like it was stuck in the mud. And then Shabazz Napier came and he kinda jump started them a little bit. And I think with him leaving going to Red Star, you add in a guy who can in those laws where you don't score, in those moments where where are we gonna get a good look. And like Thomas said, you can run him in that pick and pop situation. Um, they sound under the uh, low um, from Alva. Um, you know, he's fast, he's quick, he can get downhill. Um not really a pick and roll guard per se, but you know, you can put him in those actions. And then sometimes you can just dump it to um near right in the post and he can go to work. So, you know, I think, you know, they need someone to kind of anchor um, their offense and I think he's the guy. And it puts you know the Shields in that number two option role where he can really thrive where we've seen it um, when Milan made their final four um, run where he was really um efficient and successful in that season.
0: Yeah according to Bebolytics Milan had the 16th worst uh, offensive rating last season uh and Due to the reasons Eric mentioned, of course, injuries were involved as well. And what's interesting that their best and most used lineup was with Shabazne Napier, Billy Barron, Shawan Shields, Johannes Feutman, and Nicola Meli. So in this lineup, you could easily switch Mirotic with any of those big men's. Uh, whether it's Feutman or Meli, most likely Feutman, and you could easily see them, you know, being successful with uh, Mirotic in the lineup. So so yeah, I think that this is the case where if you have a chance to go after Nikola Mirotic, it doesn't matter who do you have on your front line, you just go for that chance. So, and especially now when actually Milan lost a lot of free agents they were targeting. For instance, Shabazz Napier, Darius Thompson. Uh, from what I know, there were more names. And now it's it's kind of, you know, okay Milan, it's it's your turn to sign somebody big. And, and in, even though in, in the beginning it looked like an obvious choice, but there was Partizan involved some other teams now it feels like this whole circle will be closed with uh, Milan getting Mirotic. but it's Mirotic saga so you never know what's <laughs> what's coming up next uh,
2: there might there might week. be three more chapters to this who knows
0: <laughs> exactly and what's what's interesting that this whole thing overshadowed kemba walkers signing by monaco i mean that was they made noise worldwide I mean, they're signing a four-time NBA All-Star, 12-year NBA veteran who averaged 19 points per game throughout his career, All-NBA member in 2019. And I think that he will be third by NBA All-Star experiences among the all NBA players that ever played in, in Europe. And I think that his resume puts him in like top three or top four American players, NBA players, who played here in Europe. And the list includes, I think, Dominic Wilkins, uh, Deron Williams and Alan Iverson, and I would, I would put, you know, Kemba Walker, no matter at what kind, what point of career he's coming here, he built a huge resume in, in the NBA, but injuries are evolved. I mean, there's the reason why he's coming to Europe. Uh, he had uh, big injury problems. He barely played in the last few years. So what kind of impact do you actually expect for him to make him, uh, to make uh, in the EuroLeague next year?
1: So before I could access it, I had to, you know, do a little digging, talk to some people on the channels. And, you know, I was just wondering, you know, a guy who makes 100 million in his career, like why is he coming to Europe? Most guys don't make that move. A lot of guys who played in the NBA, you know, first class treatment, chartered flights, suites, um, not practicing much. You know, it's a it's a pretty good setup. And a lot of them aren't built or want to come to Europe. And from my research I found out that Kimba is a guy who just loves the hoop. He's a guy that loves the game. And so hearing that, I thought, huh, oh, okay. So you're talking about a guy who loves basketball, who loves the game. It's not about the money. It's not about that. He just wants to play. And then, you know, what better place than play? If you're gonna choose to come to Europe, go why not go to a place that people pay to vacation to. You go to Monaco, you know, the sun, the beautiful, the high class living, um you know, it's an easy place to sell. So for an uh, NBA guy to come in here and to adapt, I think there's no better place as far as living than Monaco. I mean, it's going to feel as close as you can to your luxurious life of being an NBA All-Star. So, you know, I think that would be fine with him. Uh, I'm curious how him and Sasha Obravich will kind of interact. Um, but he's from New York. He's tough. He loves the game. So I think he'll be good. Now, the only question is his health, right? How are those knees, you know, all those years, all those NBA games, those 82, those playoff runs, all those crossovers, those step backs, those snatches, the stop on a dime. You know, that takes a wear and tear on those knees year after year. So I'm wondering, is he now healthy? You know, I know last year in Dallas, um, you know, he didn't have any signs of injury. And if he can just say be 70 percent of the Kimba we know, I think that's enough to be dominant in the early, I mean, to score. He was already so explosive and fast, even if he loses a step I mean, still going to be at another level. So it just depends on if he can stay healthy. Can he get through the whole year? Um, I imagine he's going to bring whatever he needs. You know, if he has a family or if he has a a girlfriend or wife, whatever, I'm sure, you know, he'll bring them with him. That would kind of ease the transition because that's something you don't want to do alone. Um, So if you have those that you care about close by, I think it can help you adapt. Um, And I expect him to be a a force. I mean, him and Mike James in the backcourt is – probably going to be something special. You know, what do you do with the lineup? It doesn't matter if you can get that type of talent. You just give them the ball and you let them play.
2: Yeah, you have uh, basketball players and you have hoopers, and and he's a hooper, you know. Uh, I believe um, after so many years in the NBA, there will be, you know, some sort of adjustment period for, for most guys. But at the end of the day it's hoops you know there it's a different style of play but that that applies to guys that are less talented you know that he's the he's the type of guy that you can um, maybe think oh it'll be different defenses it'll be less spacing how will he adjust um but then you throw the ball out there and, and just let him go and, it, and he looks like the best player on the court so um I think there will be maybe some small adjustment maybe he gets them done in Figured out in training camp. Maybe it takes him a month, uh, but once he figures it out, and 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 like Eric said, if he stays healthy, um, you know, I see I see a, a lot of success. You know, for for him and that squad. Um, but it'll be really really interesting to see how a guy that's played in the NBA for so long comes over here and, and what he thinks of it. You know, if he's surprised by by things, or or if he's like, yeah, I've seen this before. This this is cool, and he fits right in. You know, so I'm really, really intrigued by the situation.
0: Yeah, I think it's a low risk, high reward move, uh, for Monaco because yeah, he has, you know, his, his knees are extremely vulnerable in terms of getting consistent playing time. But at the same time, uh, and from, from, from what also heard from NBA people, he has to be, you know, under consistent health. Management because of his knees. But at the same time, from what I heard, he might be used only for Euroleague games, which means you will play one, in some cases, two games per week. That's a huge difference compared to the NBA schedule. From what I heard, he might, I mean, you already have Mike James, Jordan Lloyd, and Elio Cobo near line. Matthew Struzel is also over there. Some of our guys can, can cover uh, backcourt minutes. So it's not like he's going to play 30 minutes per game. It might be something around 20 minutes per game. And from what I also heard, his contract, I would say team-friendly in terms of if things go wrong with his health, it's not like Monaco will have to pay him the full salary. So, you know it's kind of a safe move for Monaco. And besides all the skills that he brings to Monaco, an extra that he can give to the club. For instance, if Elio Cobo gets injured, something happens with Mike James, you have Kemo Walker, tremendous, you know, uh, scorer on your, on your team, and they will always have somebody on the court, which, you know, Will maximize the threat to your defense, and I believe it, it will make Thomas' life even harder because I heard that you said that Mike James is probably the toughest matchup for for you because it's like 24/7 job, and now we have mm-hmm. Mike James and Kemba Walker next to next to him, and I'm I'm not even you know taking credit away from Jordan Lloyd and Okobo, it just no, cool. it's just brutal. It should be brutal. You you should get you know paid uh, extra you did, for games you against. A raise. Uh, Thank
2: you, thank you. <laughs> now now we're talking. I like where the, the direction of this podcast is going now. <laughs>
0: yeah, and you know, besides all those things, from what I also uh, heard, I also did my research, and I heard that uh, he's one of the best humans in the NBA. And he was one of the most beloved teammates in the NBA. And he also brings, I would say, elite leadership which is also important uh, for this Monaco team, uh, to have such a high-caliber player next to you who's a hooper, who's coming here for the hooping reasons, who also brings this strong mentality and wants to help you win games, you know, feel confident. I mean, I really think that Mike James at the beginning could have questioned this move. I remember that he also questioned uh, Elio Kobo signing last year. men they already had Jordan Lloyd and Mike uh, on the backcourt and already saw some nice uh, tweets by Jordan, like, put the number of how many balls you'll need for Monaco team next year, because that was this big, you know, uh, take that, how many balls Eli Okobo, Lo- Lloyd and Mike James will need? Now, this, this question gets even more interesting with Kemba Walker, but again, they're bringing really solid veteran Uh, who has some red flags but at the same time as I said the reward might be really high and they're already getting the reward I mean Monaco made a worldwide move Uh, they made a huge promotion for themselves at first and let's not forget they don't have the A license they're trying to work their name for getting this you know long term uh, deal with the Euroleague and at the same time they're helping to promote the Euroleague basketball and I really love the reaction of many European basketball let's say representatives starting from players, or even to EuroLeague social media uh, guy who's in charge of EuroLeague social media, because there's this NBA memes Twitter account with like 500,000 followers, and they posted something, oh, sad how Kemba went from the all-star to overseas player. And the guy from the EuroLeague, John Dare, if I pronounce it right, he, he he tweeted, Kemba aka overseas player will live in monaco which is better than living in 95% of nba cities earn better than his last season in the nba and join an actual basketball league and not an entertainment product it's it's kind of you know subjective but i mean you you, you got this point and this this tweet was viewed by 8 million people nicola's uh, nicola batum also made some good points about you know how overseas basketball is disrespectful so at the same time, with all the rewards you might get on the court, they're already getting reward off the court. So it's huge, not just for Monaco, but for League basketball to have such high-profile names uh, getting over here. And yeah, I, I the I, problem will
1: be the number of balls. I think the problem will be, are they okay with playing 16 to 22 minutes? Will you be mad if one game you play 15 minutes and someone hot? It's okay to do it once or twice, but what if it becomes a common trend? So the problem won't be the amount of balls. It will be, will everybody be humble enough to take a minute reduction because it's, it's inevitable you have four very high-level guards. I mean, you have to find a way to get them all in the game, and it's only two positions unless you're going to play them. Uh, when you play small, you can play them in three spots, but then you take away from that three position. And they have Diallo, uh, Blasenge, um, Ottawa. They have guys there too, so. I think maybe we'll see more three guard fronts to please the minutes, but if he goes only two of those guys, there's gonna be minute reductions and we'll see if it's all fun and games and smiles at the end of the year.
0: That's actually the follow-up question that comes next. I mean, when it starts triggering players, I mean, in when you're in this, you know, packed environment with this traffic in your position, whether it's a backcourt or front line. Where's that, you know, line that shouldn't be, you know, crossed?
2: Um, I think when it starts affecting guys would be uh, when it affects uh, their production, when it affects their numbers. You know, if you start seeing a dip in your numbers, that's, that's like the first thing. Um, winning, if, if you're winning, you know, this kind of takes care of everything. Everybody gets paid off of winning teams. Um, if you're losing and and you also are playing less minutes, you're scoring less points, you're you're making less assists. It's about to it's about to to fall off, uh-huh. off the wheels uh-huh. there. Um, and then thirdly, and probably most importantly, is when guys see a change in their upcoming salary. If you're in, if you're in a if you're in a contract year. And, you know, things are going okay. And then your agent starts saying, hey, maybe this team is looking at you and you're like, well, that's not who I thought would be looking at me. And then uh, maybe we're talking about this, this contract, or or you're thinking, well, now I need to score more, but you're not playing the minutes. Then things just start to snowball a little bit. So um, I think that the, the bottom line always is winning cures everything, but, if, if things start going bad, they, they really start to snowball.
1: No, you make good points. Um, those are exactly the three reasons. You can tolerate some stuff when you're winning. And you can buy all right, we're winning. As soon as those losses come and you're on the bench a little bit more than normal or you're not closing the game, I mean, we saw that um, Olympiacos was winning all season, all year guys probably weren't happy. I mean, it's not easy to play 10 minutes and then sit 10 minutes, play 10 minutes and 10 minutes, but you can't argue what results. They're at the top of the lead. They're getting to the Mm -hmm. final four. They're in the finals. Everyone has to shut up. This is what's working. Coach can point to success. But what if they were struggling to make the playoffs? Now one person starts bickering. Now two, now three. Now it becomes a cancer. Everybody's bicker. And Mm -hmm. so that's that's the difference. So if they just start the season strong and they keep winning, they'll be fine. But the moment – some guys aren't closing the game, the moment adversity strikes, it could be tough and your character will be tested and your competitiveness will be tested because a lot of times you're not a bad guy. You just feel like you can really help the team and you're frustrated that the role or the restrictions aren't allowing you um, to help the team. You know, and, you know, I'm not sure about everybody's motivation to leave. I know if you look at the Olympiacos situation since they're here, um, so Lucas leaves. If they win that championship, he probably stays you know like think maybe he stays but when you're already probably agitated with your minutes you want more role whatever the case may be and then somebody throws more money at you and the leading role in the minutes you desire you know and you're losing a ship even though you had excellent season it's like ah see that's why we lost maybe you know those that's the mindset of of a competitor not a bad guy just someone who like ah i could have did this or i could have did that and so i just use that as an example you know i don't know his thinking and doing that but this is what happens over the course of a year and players, you go home. And and if you're any type of competitor, you're thinking about the game, one o'clock in the morning, two o'clock in the morning, thinking about those possessions, what you could have did differently. And that sticks with you. And it's hard to just brush that off, especially in the heat of the moment.
2: Yeah. And I I think that um, every athlete, you know, you can be the most unselfish athlete, you know, out there but you still have selfishness inside of you. You know, you you want to be the one playing. You want to be the one making the plays. And and you can give everything to the team, but, you know, the best athletes are the guys at the end of the game that want to take the, the last shot. They want the pressure. You know, look at Kobe Bryant. He got called selfish his entire career. You know what? And a lot of guys would call him a hell of a teammate, you know? So um, I think the that selfishness part of it, is is great um, but there's a balance to it mm-hmm. uh,
0: there's an interesting question coming from Beyond plus member we have a basket news plus platform uh, where our subscribers on three different subscription levels can get some extra features uh, including our bonus q a podcasts uh, articles uh, behind the paywall WhatsApp uh, community uh, group, where we're directly talking uh, to those people and where I would say we have most quality basketball discussions between fans. And one of these features includes making questions to the uh, podcast uh, hosts and guests. So one is coming from Nikos Monaras and it's a little bit related to this whole situation of keeping everybody happy, uh, let's say. And Nikos Monaras wanted to hear Thomas' reaction. Uh, we will go with your reaction about Sluka's move later, but what do you think of Bartsocka's rotation? Is it a source of frustration or preservation of the players? And, you know, how to try to keep happy guys uh, in this system, which is is, is challenging for every basketball ego, I guess.
2: For sure, preservation. Guys always talk about, you know, they want to be in a comfortable situation. They want chemistry. Um, and I think that's what that provides. You know, is it um, typical to, to substitute like that? No. Um, but at the same time, I'm, you know, the last two years, I've been extremely comfortable with the, the group that I'm playing with. You know, we mix it up in practice. So it's not like um, in the fourth quarter when I'm in there with a different group, it's foreign, you know. Um but I'm a huge fan of it. You know exactly what you're getting. You know that you're going to you're going to play in the game. You you don't have this, you know, uh, feeling of a cloud over your head of, man, if I miss a couple shots and make a turnover, he's going to yank me out. I'm like, no, he's going to he's going to leave you in there. He trusts the guys that are that are in the game. Um and I like that sense of comfort. I like that sense of um chemistry that I have with the guys on the court because I've played so many minutes with that exact group.
0: Yeah, and basically probably if you do it right, if everything goes well, you're going to play in the four-quarter. That's probably this unique thing of this whole system. You know, he checks players in the first three quarters and puts the basically best lineup of the game to, to clean the mm-hmm. game, right?
2: Yeah, and um, that's easy for me to say, and I understand this, that that's easier for me to say when I'm playing 20-25 minutes per game. So I, I understand that. Maybe a guy that's in uh, Isaiah Cannon's spot, you know, where he's playing less minutes, even though he's playing great, it, it's, it's tougher. Uh, but also, you know, last year I was the one that was coming out in the first quarter before everybody else. And um, at the same time, we're winning. Every, everything's okay. Everything's solid. Um, but I am aware that my opinion is, is what it is because because I'm playing a lot of minutes. Um, but that's, we, have talked many times as a team, you know, guys have opinions about how much they should be playing, how many shots that they would be getting. It's, it's, uh, you know, not like everything is, is perfect all the time throughout a 10 month to 10 month period. But, um, coaches reminded us, guys, this is Olympiacos. We have 12 guys here that can play. There's only, there's only so many minutes. There's only 40 minutes at every single position. It's not easy to, to get everybody 30 minutes. You know, it doesn't happen The math. It doesn't add up. Um, so it just is what it is. And um, being able to take it one step back and realize you're a part of something bigger than yourself is is the, the part that the last two years we have been able to do as a whole unit.
0: Thomas, do you think there was a way how to please Sluka's needs with the current philosophy and the system of Olympiakos? With other players... And would they have understood, you know, if, let's say, one player is getting a different treatment after all those years, after all those successful years, I would say, uh, playing mm-hmm. this current system, and then there's this sudden change? How, how, how do you read that situation?
2: Um, Sure, there was a way, but um, at what cost? You know, um, Coach Bartzokas is the two-time coach of the year. <laughs> He's obviously proven himself. The guy has Greek league titles, Euro league titles, been to final fours. And he's been, he's done it by his own system, you know, and, and, um, that's what he wants. He, he believes in something and he stands by it. And, and I respect that more than anything. You know, it doesn't matter if it was the, the last guy on the, the roster to go into his office and say, I want to play more or the first guy, you know, he, he stood by what he believed. And, um, you know, I also don't think that, um, you know, if you look at his, uh, Fenerbahce numbers versus his Olympiacos numbers, it wasn't like he was playing a ton, a ton less. You know, maybe it would vary from game to game sometimes, but, um, yeah, it's, I think I, I know that I side with coach on that and, and, uh, I don't know all the details to everything that, that went down or anything, but, um, I really respect coach for saying, Hey, this is what I believe in. We have 10, 12 guys that are equal. And, and we're about winning here, not about anything individual. And, um, yeah, you know, SLU made a decision. It is what it is. Um, but I'm, I'm happy to stand behind Coach bardokas on that one.
1: I think um, there's a way you can do it, but I don't think it would have put the team in the best position. You got to think what's going to make the team win, right? I want to please players. I want players to be happy. But first and foremost, I need to make this organization win because coaches get fired left and right. So I got to do what's best for the team. And, you know, he wanted to keep his job and he did it with Sasha. Sasha Benzico played like all the game. Like, I mean, but you're talking about an MVP. You're talking about a guy who was dominant all year. So you, I say you can choose one offensive player and one defensive player. And I think that's why Thomas plays so much because the year lead is loaded with scores and talent and you need someone to go out there and make life difficult. And, you know, most nights, He's going to be there. He's going to contest shots. He's going to make it harder on them. And sometimes guys are going to hit shots. But you need a guy who can kind of change the rhythm of the game and kind of cut off the head of the snake, sort of say, basically make life hard on the offensive player. So when you have the MVP out there making life hard on the other team's defense and then you have um, a defensive MVP candidate making life hard on the best offensive player, you can really change the game. So with those two guys, yeah, you probably extend more minutes there but you can't do that for everybody else unless they're bringing something in that game that's going to allow you or give you the best chance to win. And I think that obviously it worked. They got to the finals. They were you know, in the top half of the league majority of the year. So I have nothing to say. But, you know, if things were different as a player, I could see you being more vocal. But for me, I just, you know, would have been quiet, continue to play my role because whatever you're doing, it's, it's working and it's hard to argue with results in film.
0: Eric, is there anything you would like to ask Thomas as a player from players' perspective about this particular Costas Lucas move from Olympiakos to Palmaikos? I mean, we will remember this move for 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 ages, like we remember Spanulis move. Is there anything what player is curious about to hear? Or is also kind of, you know, uh, matches what just regular fans are asking, you know, how do you feel? Okay. How do you react it? Or there's something specific?
1: I have two questions. One question, how fast did y'all kick him out of the team group chat? Because <laughs> I know it said, did it say Costas Lucas has left the group or did y'all just start a whole new group chat? Because I know it's one or the other.
2: Costas <laughs> Lucas has been removed from the group chat. I think that's the <laughs> notification that I... That I saw came, came up, but I don't think that he was uh, dying to, to stay in the group chat either. So, <laughs> <laughs> sure. and then number two. By, by the
0: way, so, so, sorry for interrupting, but who is the admin of the group chat of Olympiagos?
2: Uh, shout out Adonis Katsikas. He's the one that makes everything go around here. So, uh, yeah, he was the one that that uh, had to had to do the booting. But, uh, yeah, shout out Katsikas. He's the man. Yeah, I knew it was okay. quick. And then number two, because
1: a lot of times you guys are so close in it. Olympiacos keeps the same core. You guys like to have that continuity, you know, within the team is why you're successful because you don't just have talent, you have chemistry. Was there conversations, you know, maybe with you, so Lucas, or maybe with the other teammates Did guys try to reach out to get him to stay. Did you guys know there was a possibility he might be leaving? You know, take us through that.
2: Yeah. Um, definitely. You know, we all know that you, you know, wanted to play more. And, uh, you know, you have conversations throughout the year, but um, I, I fancy myself as being pretty level-headed and, and consistent throughout the year, either through ups and downs. I try and, uh, you know, bring the guys that are down up, and I try to keep the, you know, the guys that are being too emotional or, or maybe too hot-headed, bring them back down to earth, you know. So the, it was uh, a little bit of a battle throughout the season to – to you know keep him involved with us and, and keep everybody on you know the same page and maybe not everybody but, but to keep him you know locked in and say you know it's it doesn't matter if you're unhappy with this or unhappy with that. We have a chance to do something really special here, you know, and and, and that was to win the triple crown. That was what we were talking about all year. And and you know at one point I, I told him and, and I hope he doesn't mind that I'm I'm sharing this, but I said Hey, uh, if you want to leave after the season, okay. You know, if you want to stay, okay. That's, that's completely up to you. That's your own decision, but we have a chance to do something special here. So stay in the moment now. Let's, let's, let's do and achieve what the the maximum that we can. If that's to go to the final four and lose, okay. But I thought this year it was, it was ours to win and that we could have won it. Uh, that's not what happened. So I can't sit here and say coulda, woulda, shoulda but I wanted to live in the moment, be everybody, all 12 guys in on this season um, and try and win a triple crown. So that's, that's the sort of conversations that we had throughout the year. It wasn't like, you know, you know, we need you to stay, or we want you to stay. That's, that's his decision, you know, to make and for, for his family, himself, his agent, you know, that's not for me to say, dude, you need to stay here. But I did make it known, you know, I enjoy playing with you and you're important to this team. Um and you know, he chose otherwise and that's his choice.
0: And by the by the way, when you know Costas Lucas has been removed from the team chat, from the team group, what was the first message you try to, you know, communicate, not not necessarily in this chat, but among the players who discussed the situation, you know, how how did you try to um, not to react, but maybe to calm guys down. I'm not sure if, you know, that was a heated discussion or something, you know, what was your, uh, position, uh, going through this weird situation?
2: Yeah, it wasn't really anything in the chat like that. I think the next thing that was said in the chat was I was, it was me in a Greek uniform and, uh, somebody else said, you're ugly or something. I don't know. Something (laughs) just like (laughs) classic stuff, but it wasn't (laughs) like, you know, um, you know, he's not in the group chat anymore. And we just start firing off, you know, attacks So thank God he's gone. You know, come on. That's this <laughs> how, how it works. Um, and it wasn't like anybody's talking behind his back either, you know? So um, I wish I had some juicy stuff to tell you or a funny story or funny comment that somebody made, but yeah, only it was just me made, made, made fun of. That's it. Mm,
0: but, it doesn't matter if it was this situation or some other tough situations that you go through as a team. Is there in this team is there this one guy who everybody waits for his, you know, comment for his opinion because okay, that's what we all think, but let's wait for what Thomas thinks actually because you know there sometimes in every uh, community whether it's a basketball team, basketball news office, uh, team and family uh, group chat. We have those kind of, you know, vocal leaders that we want to hear their opinion. You know, who, who is this guy in Olympiakos' uh, team?
2: Um, before I say that name, um, I think it's, point, it's It's important to point out um, the culture and the locker room that we built at Olympiakos and that Coach Bartokas has built. Um, when I first signed him, my first conversation I had with him was about how he wants good characters in the locker room. And he's really, really done that. Um, so we have a good group of followers as well, a good a good group that's willing to follow. Um, nobody that wants to stray away, uh, but for sure without a doubt the one guy that everybody's waiting to hear from is, is pop you know Papa Nicolau. He is, I was guess he, that. Is, he is not only vocal but he also leads by example. Uh, you can obviously see throughout his entire career how he does whatever is needed for the team. Um, this year, um, there was game two, um sasha was out slew was out i got ejected and pop became the score of the team and he stepped right into the shoes and did it you know he became the playmakers for running every pick and roll and um, so he's never um, going to step outside of himself and say coach or, or he's never going to put himself over the team you know and i think that's one thing that i respect about him um, especially when you take a step back and you realize this guy's a legend you know, I can walk around sometimes, and I can, <laughs> and I can you know get recognized. Some people take pictures, whatever. When I walk around with Pop, Pop, everybody wants a picture with Pop. Everybody, everybody wants to talk to Pop. Everybody wants to touch Pop. Everybody wants to you know for him to sign something and for him to act with such humility um, within the locker room, um, but also with with a very clear uh, clear head on his shoulders is, is somebody that um, makes him somebody that I'm, I'm really happy to follow.
0: So, Slukas is gone, uh, you guys signed Nigel uh, Williams-Gas, uh, Isaac Kanan is staying, you're staying, it's already a solid backcourt, but from what i understood, you're still looking for a perimeter player, backcourt uh, player. How do you feel, what kind of, what uh, profile player you need? What would be the best fit? You don't need to you know mention names but you know what kind of player would help this team the most
2: probably the guy um, when you look at, at nigel and myself you would say solid you know you look at, at mckissick um
0: McKissick, he provides yeah, for McKissick, yeah
2: yeah uh you know both of those guys i would say canon mckissick and, and larenzykus um you know they bring a ton to the table but you wouldn't just give them the ball you know and say hey we need 25 tonight you know <laughs> we're we're away at alawaka we need 25 um so i think that guy um not a not a loose cannon but but either the guy that can create something out of nothing um a guy that can be an iso player um for lack of a better word a, a little bit of a wild card you know somebody that you can say hey take the keys either drive us off the cliff or get us to our destination <laughs> you know so uh, but yeah somebody that can score the basketball and then that can really be with with Peters being able to play the three and the four that can be anywhere from a, a two through a four really I think that that's where um, we can sign it and we can make make lineups work at any at any you know position.
0: Eric, do you have any particular names uh, to offer for uh, Olympiacos and Coach Barzogas?
1: So it's really tough, right? So when I look at the roster, they got the shooter, Isaiah Cannon. I like that. Shoot on the run off the screen, automatic, steps up some big shots. I like the slasher because it gets to the whole athletic strong. They got the defender, the true point guard, the floor leader, and Thomas. I like what Nigel brings. I think he can do a lot of the things Salukas can do. He's a better defender. He's more athletic, has better size. Um, doesn't shoot it as good off the pick and roll like Lucas. He has a nice lean mid range area, leaning three, but he can do a lot of the playmaking and some of the, probably a better score than Lucas, not as good a shooter. So I like that like swap right there. And I think they're right. They're going to need a lot of points because you're talking about losing 18 to 20 points a night from the lead MVP. Um, Sigma is a great pickup. I mean, he doesn't need the ball. He can pass. Um, he can shoot, he can post up, he can do a lot of things, but he can not get you 18 to 29. He can get you, you know, 10, 11 points a game, run the show. So you're, you need somebody who can create something out of nothing. Now, like you talked about a pure score. Um, doesn't matter. He could be small because Thomas can take the one or the two. Um, on, d- defensively, Nigel can also guard the one or the two. So it could be somebody who's shorter or not, but it needs to be someone who can play. But the problem is they have so many guards where are the minutes going to come from? So if you have Nigel playing, you know, so Lucas role, right? So let's say he's getting 20 minutes a night. Uh, Thomas is probably going to play 24 minutes a night, maybe 25. Isaiah was on the short end of the stick last year. Isaiah Cannon was probably playing. I didn't look at the stats, but probably 13 minutes a game, give or take. And then, you know, he had some big games where obviously the minutes would be more, but the average was in that area. And then, uh, was probably getting around that same area and then McKissick his minutes rubbing down so like if you add another guard where are you going to play? Are you going to start to play three guard front? Then you're cutting into Costa Papa Nicolau's minutes. If you wanted to move Alex Peters to the three they're cutting into those minutes. So like the problem is you you do need someone who can score but it might have to be a very young player who's just happy to be at that level where their play is going to be very sporadic and not going to be able to be c- consistently count on because no veteran I think is gonna go into that who's in their prime and be willing to take that type of role. Cause it's hard to get buckets when you get in 15 minutes a game. Like you got to be a machine mentally, physically, you got to come in, work on your craft every day. You got to think, I know I got three minutes to make it shape. Coach is gonna put me in, I got three, four minutes. If I go over two, over three, I'm coming out. Like I know how it was, I've been in that situation before and I knew like, all right, when you come in, there's no getting warmed up. There's no getting a lather. There's no taking your time. You catch the ball. You attack. This is your role. And I don't think a young guy is equipped mentally to handle that. I think you're going to need probably a veteran that can handle it. But if he's – is he really going to want to take that situation where he maybe can find a role where he gets uh, more minutes or more opportunity. So it's tough, but it is a great team. Um, everybody wants to live in Greece and in Athens. You know, the money going to be late, but, you know, it is a good place to play. I know they owe Thomas a check or two right now. I'm not no, even sure.
2: <laughs> no, sir. What? No, sir. We have we've been on time or early since the day I got here, brother. Wow. Early. I'm impressed. One, one time payday was on a Sunday, they said, here it is on Friday. Oh,
1: I like to yeah, hear that. I love when time. the team pays on time. I love that. Shout out to the Office. They really turned the corner because when I played in Greece, it was a disaster. They'll present this as so much money and make your head spin. But uh, <laughs> anyway, I think um, I think that's what that's what they need. But once again, they'll be in the same situation that they were in this year. There's going to be someone unhappy. So part of me says roll the dice, right? Play with what you have. Let's see if it's enough. Give it a, a two months. You know, if you're struggling in the preseason, if they're not playing how they need to, get a player, but don't get a player right away. Roll the dice. See if these five guys can lead you. And I think, I think it's enough. I think they can do it. And if there's a sign of struggle, I would go sign somebody probably around December. You can go get a big name, um, um, maybe somebody who got cut off a training camp or, you know, maybe something didn't go right there. And now instead of you having to pay 10 months salary, you're only on the hook for five or six months. That's what I would do.
2: Yeah. And just to be clear, uh, I had actually talked to Coach Rizocas about this and both of us said we like, you know, the squad we have. We're confident in the team we have. Um, so I only answered like that because that was because I'm on it because I'm on your podcast and I had to. Tonight. <laughs> I, I
1: don't want y'all to get anybody. I think y'all need to play with what y'all <laughs>
2: have. We're very solid from, from one to five, first five, second five. We're, we're super duper solid.
0: <laughs> Actually, Eric made some good points about not rushing. The market. And from Mm. what I hear it's basically the stance that Olympiakos is taking at the moment. They're scanning the NBA market for some potential great pickups at this particular score uh, position. But they're not in a rush to sign anybody. So who knows? Maybe they will start the season without signing anybody. And Like last year, for instance, Tyler Dorsey became available. So who knows what what kind of player Mm. will get available again. And not all the NBA free agents uh, signed their contracts, so there might be some interesting names uh, before the uh, winter starts. And as as Thomas said, I mean, your backcourt is already kind of packed. There's a, enough talent specialists um, in those positions, so maybe just let's 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 see and wait uh, how they gonna step up and in, in some of these guys to new positions, some of them uh, to some new situations, but. I just wanted to hear also, we, as we kind of solved Sluka's case, Vizenkov replacing Vizenkov is probably impossible. There's no player who can replace and cover all the checkboxes that Vizenkov covered, so...
1: Miritich. Miritich. the only one who <laughs> okay. He can. Do
0: okay, okay. Be- Except- he can do it
1: better. He can do it better. And I love Sasha, but Miritich can do everything he can do and then post up.
0: Okay. Okay. Although, I really think that maybe my my uh, argument would be that I think that Vezenkov maybe would be willing to play for this particular Olympiako system more than Mirotic. I mean, he was used to a different role. Maybe at this point of his career, he's different. Uh, but I thought that Vizenkov was a perfect fit for this whole system of uh, Barclokas. But anyways, I mean, you sign Luke Sigma, Alec Peters uh, stayed. And I don't remember the particular case, but I read an article and there was a good point. I mean, sometimes there's no need to find a perfect replacement because there are some guys that are impossible to replace. So you just need to find ways how to solve the situation differently, what different pieces you need to, to put in your team, you know, to give some new advantages maybe, uh, and just to, just to move on from from the player that left. So uh, how do you see this, this adjustment Moving forward, how do you see Luke Sigma uh, signing as well?
2: Um, I love the Luke signing. Um just from a, a pure basketball um fan and a guy that loves to have fun on the court, Luke has to be like a top five guy to play with. You know, his passing, you you can cut, and it doesn't matter if you're open or not, you're gonna have the ball. You know, he I think he's gonna be a blast to play play alongside. Um and I think um, between him and Peters, they're going to cover a lot more of, uh, of Sasha's productivity than, than people think. I think people need to think back to uh, Peters in Baskonia and how well he was playing uh, when he was playing the minutes. So uh, I don't blame coach for playing behind Sasha in, in some games not playing because you know, Sasha was on a different level next last year, but uh, this upcoming season i'm I'm expecting a lot of a lot of really good things from Alec and and more time um, and then on the the other side of that, Luke's Luke's best ability I believe is is making everybody else around him better you know so he can you know pick up an easy 10 points of productivity just off of assists you know he makes uh, foul you know, that much better. He makes Militino if that much better. Cannon, McKissick, all these guys, he's going to up their productivity. And I think it's going to be a, a two-man job between them as far as um, picking up that productivity.
1: Yeah, I love um sigma signing. I mean, when you look at the market, there's not a lot of fours um, in general who are available. And then you look at someone who was um, of reasonable cost. Yes, you could have went and got maybe a mirror titch, but it would have cost you an arm and a leg, you know, and if you wanted to save some money, but get a high quality player, I think Sigma is the perfect pick because you lose some playmaking in Salucas, right? So you need someone to playmate. Guess who can pass that ball? Guess who you can run some cuts and actions through with him at the high post, at that elbow area, making reads Sigma. He's a better post up player back to the basket than Sasha. Um, He's a better passer. Um, Difference is he doesn't shoot it like Sasha, but that's why you have Peters. And so like like Thomas was saying, sometimes a player is so good to replace the production, you need two guys. And you know, I'm looking at it, Sasha played about thirty minutes a game and, you know, in the year lead average, eighteen points and almost seven rebounds. And I think it's quite possible that those two players can pr- replace that production. I don't think that's uh, unstrained. I think you can put pencil in Sigma in that I would say eight to ten points a game. Um four assists, maybe four rebounds, um, really strong leader. And I think you can put Peters in that six to seven points a game, shooting at three, maybe two rebounds. And right there you have Sasha Vizinko in two. Okay, obviously the impact won't be the same, but they can do those things. And I think there's a new dimension at it. And Pajokas will have to make some tweaks to his offense because there were some things catered to Sasha's skill set. Um, and now he's going to have to let Sigma have some touches um, because the way he passes the ball, the way Thomas can cut uh, the way he can find can on the weak side for shots or McKizie cutting or a pop is an excellent cutter. Um, you give him and those backdoor actions. I think you're going to have, I think you'll see the tweaks, you know, but he'll, he'll put him in situations where he can succeed. And, you know, I think as far as I'm concerned, they did an excellent job in the market. And I think they can kind of take off where they started and, you know, start the season strong, because they have all the pieces in place.
0: Yeah, so I hear on Piakos will be fine, so that's that's good. Uh, let's talk a little bit about some other teams, that especially changed a lot during this off-season, and that's where the another question from BN Plus member Igor uh, comes. Uh, he has a question regarding backcourts. Uh, what's your opinion about Monaco, Zvezda, Pantnayko's backcourts fitting together? Uh, I would rephrase this question, which of these backwards looks as the best fit for you? And just, just to remind everyone, for instance, Monaco has Mike James, Kimball Walker, Matthew Strzel, Jordan Lloyd, Elie Kobo, Yakubo Utara, Pant uh, It's even now it's weird to, to say Pat and to start the conversation with Slukas. Jerry and Grant, Vildoza, Grigonis, Kyle Guy, and let's say Panayotis Kalaizakis, some other players can also cover those minutes. And in Restar, we have Shabaz Napier, Milos Dosic, Yago dos Santos, Nemanja Nedovic, and many other guys that can also step up uh, into these positions, like Rokas Gedraytis, Adam Hanka, or Branko Lajic. So, who do you like as the best fit of these backwards?
2: To me, um, I think. Red Star has the most versatility. You know, I think that um yes they have three point guards but Tidosis can play at the two. You know, Gjedis G- can play at the two but he can play the three. You know, or, or he's a three but can play at the two, you know. So I think some of the other um the other teams have a little more of um not one dimensional guys but you know, more offensively loaded guys um and I think um I think Red Star has the best fit as far as guys. And I, I think whenever I, I looked at their roster, it just balanced out really well. You know, you got, you got guys that can be on the ball. You got guys that you can hide. Um, you have some offensive threats, some defensive threats. Um, DeSantos had, had an amazing, it, it was really fun to watch during, during the German league playoffs this year. Um, so yeah, I think that that's uh, with so many new pieces. I'm excited to see how they mesh. Uh, but for me, that's just the one that has the most balance.
1: Oh, well, you know me. I'm an offensive guy. You know what that's what <laughs> I'm going to pick. I'm going with Monaco. I mean. doesn't
2: I, matter if we don't have any defense. Just <laughs> score the ball and, let, and let's get on to 120.
1: Yo, know, they're going to be fun to watch. I, I just I just look forward to seeing it. Uh, Jordan Lloyd. i um, um, Elio Coba I think those guys are very underrated. And you know, Everybody's going to talk about Mike and Kimba, and rightfully so. Um, two elite playmakers and scores, the things they can do in the pick and row. I just don't know what teams are going to do if you put them both on the court together. You know, you're going to double. You're going to try to do all that stuff that they do to Mike James. There's no way you're going to leave Kimba on the weak side, right, or, or vice versa. So you know, I think they can really um, create more space just by them two simply being on the court. And I think that that's a game changer. And then you come in with Jordan Lloyd, who's an excellent player in his own right, And um, know, a cobo. I just think the depth, um, how they can keep those guys coming keep each other fresh. Um, and then you have insurance plans. Like you said, in cases in injuries or in cases, any suspensions, you have insurance plans right there. and You know, everything's set and ready, but I mean, as a basketball fan, it's just going to be fun to see them get in transition. I'm hoping they run a lot of high picking rolls. Dante Hall rolling, the alley oops, he's going to be catching, you know, putting the shooters on the weak side. You know, I'm hoping that they go three guard front. Um, and they put maybe Jordan Lloyd on the three because he has the size and the strength to do it. So that would be interesting. But I still like Diallo. I want to see him get minutes too, but I just want to see that three guard front because three guys who can handle and shoot will put a lot of pressure on the defense.
0: I don't have my favorite backer from these three, but I would say I'm so impressed how loaded these backcourts are in the EuroLeague today. I mean, and these, just few of them. I mean, we didn't even include some other teams like, you know, F.S., Olympiakos, uh, Milan, let's see what they're gonna bring, Fenerbahce. I mean, these are crazy loaded backcourts that we have here in EuroLeague that sometimes it's even hard to say which guy is the starter, actually, which is the clear bench player because they both kind of look equally great so i know eric it it wouldn't be easy for you to find job in your league with these backwards to be honest
1: (laughs) i'm not easy to guard you know so i'm (laughs) I'm old now i'm 35 you know but at the end of the day i don't think there's too many people who can guard me you know so i think statistics backed it up you know karshiak we was in the finals we we eliminated some teams but you know when you get older Europe doesn't look at um American players the saying, you know, maybe if I'd have got me a, a passport along the way, I could have extended the range. <laughs> but, you know, Thomas is going to be about 38, still locking people up on the perimeter. I'm going to be 38, <laughs> getting buckets. You know, it's going to be all good.
2: <laughs> you know, it, back to your point, early in the, in the pod, you, you were talking about how it feels like talent is, we're losing talent. But then we have this conversation and it's like, man, we're loaded with talent. You know, everybody, everybody, money's flying around because because there's a lot of guys to sign. You know, so I don't know. I think that that's that's where it is. Your league gaining talent or losing talent.
0: I would say. Okay, I, I would say we still have talent, but I think that I know that some people are a little bit afraid that this talent is getting aged. We have a lot of stars at. I mean, Eric, don't take it, you know, offensive, but (laughs) a lot of stars, like 33, 34 years old, getting long-term big deals and some, I know some yearly, let's say executives who questioned if this trend is good and if aging league is a good thing for the league and looking for the future and if it's alarming. So, yeah, you, you made a good point about you know, raising this question. So we still have enough talent. Uh, are we okay with this talent? Or the age of this talent is a problem, so.
1: I think we, as uh... long as they keep throwing around money like they are now, they're going to continue to get talent. But also, mm-hmm. basketball is a copycat in every place, everywhere. You know, when I first started playing overseas 14 years ago, it was about the true point guard. You look at Rondo, Steve Nash, everything was pass first. Guards really didn't play ISO. Traditional bigs run of the basket. A lot of post-ups. This was the game. Everybody had a position. There was no combos. There were no tweeners. There was a position. So scoring guards were not valued. Then you fast forward to my third year overseas. The game evolved. It changed. You have um, scores starting to emerge. You have guys, uh, Derek Rose, um, Steph Curry, all these guys starting to make a name. And so everybody changes you know, their approach um, and how to do that. I say that to say that a lot of the older guys are succeeding. LeBron James, Chris Paul, Stephen Curry, all these guys with science, with technology. If you're a professional, if you know how to take care of your body, you can really extend your career. Um, you know, I'm speaking for myself because I'm in this position. Um, I feel like I haven't dropped off. Um, if you look at the analytics, you look at the impact of the game, if you look at the eye, you know, everything is still there. Go check the numbers. Numbers don't lie. So if you see those things, you can tell who's a professional, who's not. So I think it's not strange to see guys getting these deals who are older because coaches like what they know. They like what's dependable. You know, a 33, 34 year old is not going to be out there doing stupid stuff. You know, he's not going to be out in the club after losses. You know, there's not going to be any adversity when it comes to something not going their way. They're not going to fold. They're not going to quit. They have that mental um, capacity to handle those type of things. So I think that's why you see it, just because the NBA is giving long-term contracts to those older guys, and they're succeeding. And so I think this is a trickle-down effect. And as long as us old guys keep holding on the fort, I'm rooting for all my old guys out there. Keep playing well, because you can set the tone for the next generation and the next. So be professional, <laughs> handle your business, and allow all these old guys to keep getting paid. Keep doing it, elite. Pay us old guys. We still can play. <laughs>
2: for old guys.
0: (laughs) Uh, There were big salaries thrown for former NBA guys. And I sent you a short list of, I actually put three names, but I made a count. And I think that we have, I'm afraid we have five NBA guys in total coming straight from the NBA, directly from the NBA to Europe. And these are really solid names, starting with Raul Neto, who is expected to sign. It's not official yet, but he's expected to sign with Fenerbahce. He had a six points uh, average and two assists average in the NBA. Willie hernan Gomez, seven points and six rebounds average in the NBA, uh, including the uh, last year's Eurobasket MVP award. Kemba Walker, I told you guys, 19 points, four rebounds, five assists. That's his 12-year career average. There's also Frank Jackson, who signed with Aswell Villarbon, 25 year old uh, guard who averaged 8.5 points per game for Pelicans and Pistons and now Juancho Hernangomez signed a deal with Panathinaikos officially 7 years in the NBA 5 points 3.5 rebounds so which what do you think you know which NBA player, player coming to Europe is in a pole position to succeed next season and this let's say this definition of success is not necessarily related to the team success but who do you see as a Potential number one standout of this group.
2: Um, Easy. Yeah.
1: Willie Herman You know, shout yep. out to my Pelican guy. He already <laughs> knows European basketball. They have a glaring need for him to come in and do what he does because they're losing Miritich. You know, it's a guy who kind of you can center your offense around. Well, Armand Gones is a guy I think I can play in the pick and roll in that short row area. He hit the mid-range jumper. He's really good back to basket. Nice face-up game. Um, His versatility is excellent. I think he should have played more um, with the Pelicans. You know, I liked um, the things he did when he was in there. Um, This year, he didn't play much. But the previous year, you know, he had a bigger role. Um, He was able to show uh, the things he could do. But for me, it's a simple choice. He's the one who's in shape. He's been playing. Um, He showed you what he can do with the Eurobasket. It was pure domination. Um, Carried Spain with the help of Lorenzo Brown and just the connection with them in the pick and roll was excellent. And I think, you know, with the guards that Barcelona have, I think he'll be able to kind of, won't be the same because Lorenzo Brown's a guard on a different level, but he'll be able to um, form a connection with them, get some easy baskets, but I think he'll have a big season and he'll be a big part of Barcelona's success. I think he'll be in that conversation for first or second team all year
2: league because he's that good. One hundred percent. If they're if they're gonna gonna have a uh, a good year for Barca standards, you know, a lot of it's going to be on him. You know, they he's stepping into the the biggest role, the biggest shoes that he needs to fill. Um, and then the EuroBasket performance last last season, uh, last summer was uh, really really impressive, and I think that um, that's kind of the last uh, impression that he's had in Europe and. I think there's a lot to be said for that. The confidence that that, that probably provided him within European basketball is, is probably a, a pretty high level of confidence. So um and obviously he's home, you know. So that that three things I think will propel him to to have a pretty, pretty easy transition back over here.
0: Um I'm just I was just thinking, I mean, for me, Billy Hernan Gomez also looks like an easy choice, but at the same time, don't you think that Jan and Vesely's presence might also kind of limit his playing time, which also translates into, you know, having a little bit reduced numbers. How are they gonna split those two? I mean, that's a great combination to have Lee Hernan Gomez and Vesely, but both requires minutes. So can can they produce huge numbers playing, let's say, twenty minutes per game?
1: I think Jonas should play more. He should get more minutes because they need offense. Um, you just lost a guy who can get you 20 in his sleep. Vesley's a great player in his own right, but he's never been a player who was considered a scorer. You know, he's a guy who rebounds, who defends, who's versatile, you know, who's dependent upon someone else to help get his offense. Hermigones can go get his own buckets, just like Miritich can get his own buckets. And that's why if they're going to do the minutes thing, maybe Hermigones 24 minutes, Vesley 16, but um, it's, it's not the same offensively. Okay, obviously, Vesley brings more to the defensive side of the ball. And, you know, I know they value that at the five position. And, you know, maybe you can slide him to the four sometimes. He's not really a shooter, but some coaches like to play two bigs together who can't shoot. And this is what they do now sometimes. I don't know why, but I'm not a fan of it. I like my four to be able to shoot. But, um, yeah, I, for me, it's it's clear. You don't go get him, pay him that amount of money, bring on a, a, a Spanish guy back home to share minutes. Uh, with a defensive player uh, this is his home this is you know okay spain is where he's from he's coming back he's a big man he's gonna, everybody's gonna come to the gym to see him you put that boy in the game and you let him do what he do
0: yeah, I, I agree. I like, yeah okay
2: i i agree um maximizing their their potential you know obviously they have different games match maximizing what they can bring to the table by by the lineups that they're in with you know uh match up maybe uh you know if you have a guard that's not so much of a pick and roll player, put him in there with Willie, let him post the ball up. You know, if you have a guy that's a pick and roll player and, and you want it, you know, best to go catch lobs, you know, match those guys up like that. Um but I, I do agree. Um you know, you're gonna have to have him on the court a lot.
0: Yeah, he, he will do damage for sure. Uh although I really think that in this whole conversation Frank Jackson is actually a little bit underrated name. Uh, I mean, it's a big body, athletic, high-paced combo guard that looks to score basically with every touch of the ball. He not necessarily involves others that well, but he can shoot, he can score in transition, and by EuroLeague standards, he will be elite athlete. And there's basically only Nando DeColo. And, you know, again, again, I don't want to sound like against old guys, but he's getting old. And he's sometimes he's on a load management, as we saw last year. So I think that Frank Jackson will get the keys to lead this team. And I see him making his name here as well as Eli Kobo actually did a couple of years ago. So Frank Jack- Jackson, 25 years old, he's still young and he, he has talent. I know that he was already offered to your league teams like last year or a couple of years ago. So I might I might think that he might be kind of a sleeper in this conversation with a lot of very talented players.
1: That's a good eye. Um, I'm familiar with Frank Jackson because it's time with the Pelicans. So I've seen him. I watch a lot of Pelican games, obviously. But you know, he can play. He's athletic. He has the size. He can do some things. It's going to be a small adjustment period, which is why I think Willie just he's just dominant. But I could see Frank, you know, coming out doing what he has to do. It's just the problem is if Ticolo doesn't get hurt, there's not going to be a lot of minutes for him. Or if Ticolo doesn't get managed because, you know, you don't pay a, a guy that type of money. And he's like a French legend, a EuroLeague legend, one of the best players. Um, He's going to play at least 25 minutes a night. So unless you're springing Frank between the one and the two, that's only 15 minutes at the two position. So, you know, that could be a small dilemma there. But, you know, I think Frank can be a combo. and can be used there. And, you know, he's bigger. He can play some three. If um, Because basketball is just about if you can guard that position. You can play one, two, three. Once you get the ball, everybody's playing pick and roll. Everybody's doing stuff. But if you can guard that position, you can get away. And I think he has the strength and the body type to guard it. So I think you got a good eye. That's a that's a good pick, Donatus.
0: Man, to get <laughs> some credit from Eric, that's that's huge. <laughs> that's huge. You made my day. My day is already perfect, so I'm good. <laughs> but just before we go, just before the go, the let's go to the, the last part of this whole podcast. Uh, I just wanted, I mean. Uh, Thomas Walcove will represent Greek national team in the FIBA uh, World Cup, and there's this very interesting game on his schedule, August twenty eighth, Greece versus Team USA, second game of the group phase, in Philippines. Did you try? Did you already try? How, how do you try to visualize that game in your mind uh, already already? Um,
2: I I visualized the the national anthem you know, the, the, the USA national anthem playing. And I thought that that would be a little, a little weird. Um, but to be honest, I've uh, haven't forgot my American roots, but also I'm, I'm so uh, proud to be representing the, the Greek national team and the country of Greece that um, kind of goes out the window, you know? So no, I didn't forget where I'm from. Um, but I think there's a lot to be said, for me personally, about the the Greek Basketball Federation believing me, the people of Greece being behind me, um, you know, through training camp, the the guys have been so welcoming of a foreigner, you know. So, um, yeah, there's a weird um, dilemma to that. Um, But at the same time, um, having this sort of reception by by the Greek people uh, and this sort of belief, um, you know, I'm, I'm happy to be on this side. I'm really happy to be on this side.
0: Did you receive many questions from your friends like, so now you're going to live in Greece for the rest of your life? Did you lose U.S. <laughs> passport? What were the weirdest question that might be uh, actually no, just, natural for some people?
2: No, just just from my mom. My mom was the one that asked if I would be living in Greece for the rest of my life. Uh, <laughs> she was but, concerned, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, but to be honest, um, I love Greece. Man, I love Greece. Um, after my career, okay. for sure, I will... I will spend a ton of time here. Um, Greek summers, you can't beat them. Just can't beat it. I love Texas, but it's not near as exciting as Greece. You know, so, uh,
1: yeah. That's how I know know if you're committed. Are you going to buy a property in Athens? That's what I'll know.
2: We're working on it. Okay, my guy. We're working on (laughs) it. I got beautiful city. I love Greece. Yeah, it's the best, man. And and, uh, especially after I signed the, the long term deal, it was like, I'd be silly not to. So, uh um, yeah, yeah, I'm serious about it. Okay. Uh,
0: speaking about, you know, American players joining national team, you need to understand my perspective. I'm from Lithuania. We never had a naturalized player. Serbia is the same. And we're talking about, you know, these big basketball countries. So we're, we're a little bit of, Nationally, nationalists here because mm-hmm. we mm-hmm. don't like our teams, you know, upgrading the f- great American players and just, you know, filling those gaps that they had because, I mean, I mean, we're dealing with the huge point guard problem for like last 15 years since we lost Sharuna which to the retirement. And, you know, this, this gap was huge, but still, we tried to find ways, you know, how to solve that thing. And I think, you know, as a nationalist basketball fan, I think that national team should, mirror the current stance of particular countries, you know, basketball situation. If they lack of great point guard, let's say, maybe something is wrong with our basketball school, that we're not producing, you know, skilled, smart, uh, you know, elite point guards. And as we compete in those competitions, it's, you know, a good indicator for us that, hey, we have to do something with it. And we're, we're not signing Lorenzo Brown, you know, to solve those issues. So, I mean, there is this, I'm, I'm representing, I'm, I mean, I'm okay with Thomas now joining the Greek national team. I, I'm not putting you any blame. I think this is, I would call it a gap in FIBA rule book that teams are mm, using and that's okay if you want to achieve your goals. And if it fits both sides, I mean, your your situation is even different. You're going to, you're playing in Greece already. Uh, a few years and you're going to stay here, you're working on buying a property. So you have roots, you have ties already with the country, but there are some other countries that are signing players who didn't know anything about those countries. So we feel bad about it, but I mean, as I said, I get it. It's a loophole in the FIBA rulebook that some teams are using to achieve their goals on the, you know, biggest stage of uh, international national team basketball. But how do you see, you know, you heard this nationalist basketball fan perspective. How do you see this whole naturalization process from the American player standpoint? You know, that you're coming from America, from also, you know, the the birth country of basketball, basically producing so much talent worldwide, you know, both in the NBA and in Europe. Even last year, I saw the statistics that there was this list of, Particular, you know, countries and players from those countries making the he- he biggest impact, and United States players make the biggest in- impact in the EuroBasket, which which sounds weird, you know. But mm. how do you, how do you see this whole situation from your standpoint? That's a question for bo- both of you guys, actually.
2: Um. Uh, so first thing, there was an American point guard that played in Lithuania for three years that could have solved the the point guard problems there. I think I think he had expressed some interest. <laughs> um and uh secondly i really respect you know the um the pride you know of lithuanians the pride of serbians and um to say no we don't we don't want you know in any any naturalized players i i do respect that and i respect your opinion on it um now from the american side of it uh is it something that I, from a young age, I would have said, yeah, I think it's it's super duper fair to um, just take your pick of the litter and say, hey, I want this guy, even though he's not from my country. No, probably not. But at the same time, from the American side, um, Eric, you've spent way, way more of your life in Europe the last 15 years than you have in the States. Um, for the last seven years, I've done the same. Um, I'm at this point way more European than I am American. Um, the time I think that I've given up the time that other Americans have given up to be over here, to live over here. Um, and not everybody does this, but to dive in the culture, um, to, to try and fit into society, all that, all that stuff. I think there's, there's a lot to be said for that. And, and, you know, from really day one in in Greece, especially that's what I tried to do. I tried to, to really fit into the culture. Um, so I think it's, it's fair from my standpoint that, that I received that.
1: Yeah. I think, um, um, a lot of Lithuanians and Serbians will feel some type of way. Um, and Spanish players felt the same way Spanish people did too. Mm-hmm. Until you hold that gold and then you forget mm-hmm. all about that naturalized life. everything. I think the Lithuanians <laughs> would forget. I think the Serbians would forget. And as we saw, the Spanish forgot because they had a lot of things to say about Lorenzo Brown um, all over the media, the interviews, a lot of things. Some of his own teammates, they was the main ones hugging him and embracing him. So winning cures it all, as we talked about before. I do think when you've played in the country, it's different. You know, you've played somewhere, you start to pick up some of the language, you're embracing the food, the culture, the people. You know, Thomas has been there for a while and he can he's gonna continue to be there. I don't know, four-year extension, whatever he signed. Um, you know, that's someone who who's gonna be a man of the people. You know, it's never end. I understand people want to keep the roster the same, but for me it's pointless. You know, if you have a, a glaring need, an issue, you know, just add one guy. It will make it better. You know, you'll have those issues fixed, and then it will motivate those players. That's the problem. There's no one to come take their spot. You bring somebody in that can come take their spot, that's going to get them in the gym. That's going to get them working. Oh, some American came in, got naturalized, took my spot. Guess what? All those other young kids who play point guard, shooting guard, they're going to be in the gym because they know nothing's guaranteed. When you have these rules that help players get minutes or get roles where maybe they aren't deserving, it protects them. Foreigner limits, um, uh, limits with people on the court, the Russian rule, all those type of things, all that does is handicap players to be lazy because I get a job because I have to be on court. I get a job because I have to be on a roster. That's all that does. But when you're a foreigner, you have to be good or you'll get cut. You'll get fired. That's just how it goes, and it's always been like that. So if you want to see growth and development within a national team, within certain positions, a lot of fire up somebody and put them in that position. So you know, from an perspective, I think it's like Thomas said, you almost don't feel American because you're gone so much. Yes, I have a house here. Yes, I have properties here. I have all that businesses. Yes. But I'm gone. I was gone this year from June 19th is when I got home and I left August 20th. Actually, the 19th. I arrived on the 20th. So I counted. I think I was home this summer. I'll be home 68
2: days. So if, if we don't
1: deserve a passport, I don't know who does. We're home
2: all. We're, this is our home. Like, so if I feel like are, my American passport should be taken away. I'm never there, yeah,
1: barely there. <laughs> like so, I understand. Like I love that people love their country and what they've been through, and I know the history. You know, you know, of Lithuania and all that stuff. You know, from having you know a teammate like Kuzmiskis, and you know, I know how he feels about naturalization as well. I think it's just a <laughs> Lithuanian thing, uh, but. I, if you can't beat them, join them. You gotta adapt with the, the the generations, with the growth of basketball, with everything that changes, or you're gonna get left behind. And you're gonna be sitting there looking at Spain or the US or Greece holding their medals and you're gonna say, What if? Just jump in. Get you get you a player.
0: <laughs> That's <laughs> bad. <a> no- That's <laughs> bad. That's really bad.
1: Hey, <laughs> <laughs> right, would you rather would you rather be a finalist? With a foreigner, naturalizer, would you rather barely make it in, stumble out, get exit in the early rounds? But you didn't have a foreigner, but you didn't win. Which one is better? Which one's better for the country and for the growth of basketball? Winning. Be a winner. Mm. Be a winner, Denise. Make winning decisions. <laughs>
0: get the people You're on
1: board. Doing- Come on, Lithuania, get on board. It's okay. It's you- only one foreigner. <laughs>
0: You would be a good recruiter, actually. But <laughs> I, I will be that Lithuanian. Like, I, I feel that there will be a lot of those Serbian guys. No, we, we, we're okay with not even qualifying to the next stage instead of having American help us to get a medal or something. Now, I don't have that kind of radical opinion, to be honest. But I just, you know, I just felt that this rule thing, you know, changed the whole motion of the national team basketball because it's okay. Some countries, It's it basically started with actually with less talented national teams trying to upgrade the naturalized players. But since many teams started doing it and some teams started winning stuff like Slovenia with Anton Randolph for 2017 and young Luka Doncic, then they made another, Rasha which made another great GM signing with Mike Toby, you know, making a great fit with Luka Doncic. I mean, other teams saw that, I mean, those, those th- these teams that, Taking great players and they're you know stealing spots, stealing medals from us. So we also have to step step up and you know to play according to these rules. So it it basically became inevitable to not to naturalize anybody. So I really believe that in some time both Lithuania and or Slove- uh, Serbia will have their own Thomas Thomas Vokopas or Erika's Macolimus on their national teams. <laughs> so just, I just have a, getting I have inevitable. a solution.
1: I have a solution. I think this would be fair. You should take the population of each country and make a number for those smaller countries that have a smaller population because it means they're probably going to have less talent to pull from. And then they should be able, based on whatever that number is, people under this amount, under this certain amount of millions of people, they can naturalize a player. And then countries Mm -hmm. over this amount can't. I think that's the most fair way because you can maybe even the odds for the smaller countries that don't have as many guys to pull from.
2: That's interesting. Yeah, I like that.
0: So in this case, Kyle Anderson is not joining China national team for $1 million, right?
1: Shoot, they could have came and got me for for half of that.
2: (laughs) (laughs) I gave him a discount.
0: Just a very, very last question, guys. Uh, The last question from also BN Plus member, Adrian Avzner. The question was, can you ask them why Americans value the Olympic Games so much more than the World Cup? For every Olympic basketball team, they got all stars and for the World Cup, it's just the rising stars. I feel like it has to be money-based. Does the US pay for the Olympics if the team wins a medal but doesn't care about the World Cup? Probably is not the case, but I would like to hear your perspective.
1: NBA guys make 200 million, 300 million. They're not worried about no little bonus. These guys are making 50 million a year. Like the bonus that they had doesn't move them. And they're making 20, 30 million off the court if they're superstar status. So um, guys play all year. They train. They take it serious. People have families, people have kids. Basketball is just what they do, it's not who they are. So oftentimes you don't want to play all year basketball. You don't get to enjoy your summer. You don't get to spend time with people that you care about especially when you've been gone all year on the run you know and if your kids start to get older they're starting to have events they're still they're starting to play AU high school gangs whatever the case may be and you're missing those things then you have to add the fact that people really care about the NBA team this is the team that's paying you 40 million per year you want to make sure that that free national team yes it's an honor to play for your country but it's almost like the team that pays you your salary that takes care of your livelihood. What if you're in a contract year? What if you're in a certain situation? Are you going to go to some little tournament um, in the middle of nowhere and play? Probably not. You're probably going to focus on your season that you had and uh, getting this contract that can change not only your life, but your kids and their kids and generational wealth. So um, the U.S. players take basketball serious, and that's why they're not going. Because if you're not 100% mentally locked in and 100% sold on it, you shouldn't go you should stay back and you should give that position or spot to somebody younger. And it's good for our development. We send younger players and guess what happens eventually they're going to be on the team that's going to the Olympics, but they're getting those minutes. They're getting that development. They're growing. So ironically it's helping the growth of basketball by getting these young players acclimated and getting them a chance to show something when normally we would take the A squad and, you know, probably we win by 20 points every game. You know, now this makes it more interesting, makes the games closer, but it also grows um, the younger generation and it makes them have to step up.
2: Yeah. uh, Well said. Um, I think another point is uh, way more simple, but the popularity of the Olympics, you know, uh, that's like a bucket list thing. You know, I don't know if every kid grows up thinking I want to play in in the world cup, uh, you know, but to play in the Olympics is a huge, huge deal. That's a major achievement. and uh, For some guys, it's like, hey, this is the one Olymp- Olympics I might be able to play in, you know, maybe one or two. Um, but I think it could be just as simple as that, too. You know, everybody wants to play in the Olympics. It's a huge deal. The uh, amount of exposure that guys get from the Olympics is is even bigger than, than the World Championships. So, um yeah, I, I, I don't think it's so complex.
0: Yeah, for me the worst part is that six years ago FIBA started this FIBA qualifier system that included national team games during the season in November and February. Mm. It kind of sparked a big conflict between EuroLeague and FIBA. It changed the whole ecosystem of European basketball and it started this you know whole EuroLeague-FIBA uh, war. And the main idea was to make the FIBA World Cup the most important national team competition and to make it even above the Olympics because, well, Olympics, Olympic basketball tournament is not organized by FIBA, so they're not getting any money. So they can make money through the World Cups. But uh, I think that, of course, it's not just about the system, not about the FIBA, it's also injury related problem. But I think that this year in this FIBA World Cup, we just have two NBA, all NBA team members uh, locked uh, for the competition. It's Luka Doncic and somebody else. Um, I, I really forgot the name, but I counted two guys. And of course, if Jokic was there, if Giannis was, it's, he's still, you know, questionable, doubtful, It's not sure if he's in and out. If they were there and they had intentions to play, the number will, would be a little bit bigger, but I compared it to the 2014 FIBA World Cup, and, you know, it's a difference on one or two guys, which means that this whole change and sacrifice didn't make FIBA World Cup the main competition yet. So I think that as a international basketball, we are losing, we just sacrificed too much, making this whole calendar so, you know, messy, where we, we sparked this war, we stopped thinking about the growth of European basketball, instead started, you know, getting into inner wars, and now we are losing some markets to, to Japan Australia and you know et cetera. So that's the sad sad part for me as the you know European basketball fan and and yeah, they're still losing losing to Olympics uh, importance wise. Uh, FIBA World Cup didn't become a bigger competition. So so that that's the sad conclusion of the whole conversation of the whole podcast that I didn't I tried to avoid, but but yeah.
2: Thanks for sending <laughs> us out on a good note. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Yeah, but that was a great conversation, guys. I'm really happy to have you you too. It already even got dark in, in Athens. I know. I, well, I didn't Thomas. want to stuck
2: away during the interview, but I could have used a lighter too on in here, huh? <laughs> <laughs> you got the brightness yeah, but, up on my computer.
0: <laughs> but yeah, that was a entertaining, quality conversation. Really glad to hear your perspective on EuroLeague things, on national team basketball things, because... That's, that's also the idea of this whole podcast, you know, to, to give other perspectives, to give a platform for players, explain their own perspective and, you know, to educate for all of us uh, from from these conversations as much as possible. Even though sometimes we're giving some bad takes or something, but it should happen. So thank you, thank, thank you guys for joining in. That was a really big pleasure to have you both on the podcast.
1: Likewise, it was a blast. Thanks for having me as always. And thanks for joining Thomas. We appreciate you.